This episode of Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast is brought to you by Piedmontese Beef. And I really want to talk about Piedmontese Beef because, in my opinion, it is the most underrated, most untalked about, just underutilized tools when it comes to uh, bodybuilders and their diets. Can you explain exactly why that is, Enzima? Yeah, man. It's actually pretty awesome because we have a lot of bodybuilders on this podcast. And every single time we get one on, we always tell them about Piedmontese because... When a bodybuilder goes on a bodybuilding diet, they're like, I want to eat low fat and, you know, I I can't eat a lot of calories. And they always end up eating chicken breast, tilapia, just really weak meats, just very weak birds. Um, But Piedmontese is awesome because they have a lot of different options in terms of their meat that have a great amount of protein, like good amounts of protein, but not a crazy amount of fat. So Mm -hmm. you can be trying to do a diet and you can eat a lot of meat, a lot of red meat that tastes great, that's tender without all of the extra calories. But... I want to give this a big butt because a lot of people are like, but I like fat. They also have a lot of options of different cuts of meat that have more amounts of fat. Mm-hmm. So if that's your jam and that's what you want to do, you have that option too. You can't lose. I like that you added a big butt. Mm-hmm. We love big butts. We do. Cannot lie. But seriously, stop eating weak you know, birds like Nsuma just said. Head over to Piedmontese.com. That's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E.com. At checkout, enter promo code POWERPROJECT for 25% off your order. And if your order is $99 or more, you get free two-day shipping. Highly, highly, highly recommend you check out the flat iron steak because what Nsuma just said, it's ridiculously high in protein and insanely low in fat. Go check that out right now. I heard uh, Eddie Murphy did some stand-up recently and oh, no. Joe Rogan was talking about it and he's like, just came out and just annihilated everybody. Yes. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, is like, it, is it, was it recorded? Is it going to? I'm not sure. I don't know. But yeah, Eddie Murphy was oh. like, oh. yeah, from like the the rumors, and we're recording now. But from like the mm. rumors of it all was like, um, he would just host parties, and he would just kind of be like, everyone's just hanging out, and he would just get in front of everybody and just slay, yeah, just kill everybody, oh, just man. but just like being silly, you know. And then everyone's like, dude, you got to. So that's. Uh, man that's great to hear that's really good to hear that like, he's killing it i like him in shrek <laughs> he was really funny in shrek yeah, never no. seen it oh wait really <laughs> that's sad no, i don't care about it wait no, the first shrek you should see shrek. you actually really should it's <laughs> really fucking good so the the yeah, only you'll cry it's the, a great movie it made you cry yeah, oh, absolutely. Which part? Which part? <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, okay. Romantic. Okay. There's one. I just remember the one clip where uh, Pinocchio said, like, they're like, say something that's a lie or whatever. And he's like, say you're wearing, like, chick's underwear or something and his nose doesn't grow. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Mm-hmm. That was a good thing about Shrek, too, because it had a lot of, like, these sneaky adult humor bits that, like, parents could laugh at. Yeah. But kids would just be, like, laughing at everything. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Like yeah. Austin Powers. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, Austin I watch Powers. Watch my kids. Austin Powers is amazing. Congrats, Goofy, Mark. Amazing. Thank you. Steak Shake. Mm-hmm. Chocolate sold out before we could even tell anybody that it was for sale. It's gone. Mm. <laughs> it's well, gone. it makes sense. The chocolate flavor zone. Yeah. Everyone likes chocolate. Mm. Yeah. Everyone likes vanilla, too. Yeah, vanilla's great, but chocolate. chocolate. We're, we're working on some salted caramel, too. Hell, yeah. You really are working on salted <laughs> caramel? represent all three of us. <laughs> Here we fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's amazing. And then vanilla, as last time I checked, which was early this morning, was like already halfway gone. So that's, by the time you hear this, it's way too late. Yep. Yeah. We're working on getting more. I just don't know when. Yeah. Uh, that'll be the question. Uh like I don't literally don't know when, but hopefully it doesn't take too long. <laughs> I literally uh, don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we just uh, popped some of these pills over here. Andrew was telling us they they were working pretty good for him. This, I dig uh, them. Yes, committed mind stuff from uh, 
our buddy Charles Brooks. It's a uh, nootropic. Mm-hmm. What's it got in it, Andrew? I'm actually I can't remember. Popping very second. Same as laughing. But, <laughs> it's like why do we keep getting so high on the show? Just I'll, Andrew, go ahead. I just got to mention something. No, so this one does have the five HTP. It does have L-theanine. It has caffeine. So anybody in the nootropic world will know smart caffeine which is essentially just caffeine and l-theanine and that combination right there will wake you up but it'll make you a little bit more charismatic and then some of the uh the alpha gpc in that one um the other day the the one that like the first time i took it you were like damn andrew your comp- your uh, comparisons you're making today are oh, yeah. top. so it will help you kind of mm. just bring shit from like out the back of your brain up to the forefront Oh, that day was performance enhanced, we just learned. Yes, yes. We're going to start doing some P-tests on this show. (laughs) Find out what the hell's going on. So, I thought you were natty, bro. Eh. Once you go to the dark side, you can never claim it. It's over. over. But no, it it felt good, and so I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, Thanks, Charles Brook, for sending you some. I think it's just committedmind.com, is that right? uh, I could check. He sent me a thingy for it. Anyway, he he's just a buddy of ours, so if you want to check it out, if you're into nootropics, what you laughing about over there? You overdo things, man. What? You really do. I, I just think it's so funny, and I never learned the lesson. I think I, I'm I didn't, insulted. I didn't learn the lesson from the Andy, mushrooms. It's not true, right? <laughs> um, well, there was the one time we did mushrooms on air. And I was like, let me do one. He's like, what? nah, you should do three. Three's like, that. that's easy. And then I get super high. But like with these, right? I'm, Andrew's like, take two. I take two. And Mark's like, oh, I'm going to take four. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> See, you guys, you guys think I'm the devil on your shoulder, like in comparison to the angel on the other side of your shoulder. But really, you yeah. have two devils on your shoulder and I'm the better of two devils. <laughs> That's really the truth. Of that it. makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, that does make sense. <laughs> but damn, man. Yeah, so it's uh, committedmindnootropic.com. I can't wait. I can't wait for how this is going to feel. Mixed with some Mind Bullet too. About so, to be floating over here. Yeah, so it, it'll... Uh, do with, so with the Mind Bullet, you'll probably... I mean, I know today's conversation could get pretty heavy, yeah. but you'll probably just feel a little bit better. And mm. then again, the one thing that's undeniable with all of it is the caffeine. So you're going to get a, just a little, little bump in uh, energy as well. It's going to be funny. I wonder how much caffeine per serving, because I already had this espresso she out. <laughs> um, caffeine, a hundred milligrams. Ooh, Mark, you're about to be per s- hype per serving. Though, how many, how many is in a serving? Is I mean, one capsule. Ca- oh shit. Uh, serving size in uh, one capsule, a oh. hundred milligrams of caffeine. That's and Mark huge. had four and he had coffee. That's mm-hmm. great. Something, Ooh, something big's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, it's you have so, water, man. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. You're gonna need that. Yeah, water it down. How many milligrams of alpha GPC? Alpha GPC. It's the first one. It's the first one. Two hundred milligrams of alpha. GPC. That's impressive for one capsule. Yeah, yeah. Serving size one capsule. So that's about yeah. Okay. I'm excited for uh, today's guest. You know, it's uh, it's always good to have military folks on the podcast. It's uh. It's been a little bit since we've had anybody on, and um, Eddie Gallagher is somebody that uh, was brought up to me by Carl Lenore. He's like, mm-hmm. you got to have this guy on the podcast, and he's like, I just think he's got a lot of interesting things to say. Um, what I'm interested to learn is like, you know, how do you go through something that is uh, is uh, so publicly known and like survive it? You know, he yeah. obviously is very he's a very uh, strong individual, being uh, a Navy SEAL and. Uh, all the training that he's gone through, and he's learned a lot of the things that we talk about on the show often about, um, you know, d- choosing, you know, to be happier. And, and he had a lot of training that I'm sure, you know, taught him how to get through some tough times. But how do you deal with, I guess, like public perception? 
of you being this horrible person. You know, he's uh, was accused of, uh, you know, murdering a um, a terrorist. And it's like it's just kind of a confusing thing because, you know, you, we go to war and we have soldiers do certain things. They get certain orders. Um, and then uh, I don't know what line is too far. I don't even knowing like if war is even like, you know, it brings up a lot of questions, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I would say that I would say that just by our history, I could say that war appears to be necessary since it's always been around. It, there must be a reason to fight, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, um, as much as none of us probably really want to see anybody die. Uh, things get weird when people are doing things that are maybe inappropriate. And so, um, I, you know, I'm excited to, to talk to him and just kind of see how he's dealt with some of the adversity and some of the fallout, especially after, after having such an illustrious career in the military. Yeah, there's it. I think war is a very interesting thing because like this is coming from the point of view of two civilians, both all of us, actually, none of us have been in war. But when you hear people talk about it, it's like that does change individuals. After year one, year two, year three, mm. they see things that we have no, no literally conception of. We, we can't conceive. Just saw it in a movie, maybe. That's mm-hmm. about it. And barely. Like, yeah, we, yeah. We, we barely see anything right. like what those guys see, especially like SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. Like they have to do these like CQC things where they go into buildings and they have, there's a lot of killing that's involved mm-hmm. and a lot of it's super gruesome. But when people get used to that, it's like. When you get accustomed to something, let's just say, you know, we get accustomed to something like working out. It's not hard for us to do. Mm-hmm. And when they get used to something also, it's not hard for them to do. But the, the, the curious thing I have is because like the thing surrounding him is like the photo and then all of that type of stuff. Like what I'm just curious, like what, how, how they were perceiving it with everything that they've gone through at that point. Right. Cause I feel like it's so different. Like this civil, like us, we'll look at things and the things that have happened and like, you know, Again, everything will be like, oh, that's so horrible. That's so evil. But I don't think we realize that they are in such a different mind space over there. They're not living these nice lives that we're getting to live over mm-hmm. here. So it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, their mindset has to be different, right? You got to like kind of be, uh, you got to be ready for anything, right? So, I mean, you must be kind of on edge, at, you know, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't even. Um, a, a family member of mine, he was, um, I, I don't know exact um, titles and all that, but he was in the tanks and stuff. And he's mm. seen some shit. And it's so crazy because he's just like, yeah, he's like, it'll stick with you. He's like, but it's not that bad. But then, like, you know, uh, so, uh, Stephanie went to high school with somebody who also, you know, he had a bunch of experiences and it, it took him like he committed suicide. Mm. So it's like, Holy shit. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Like they talk about it, but maybe they don't talk about it enough. You know what I mean? Like it should be more open, but it's just crazy. Like how one on one side, he was like, man, it's not too bad. And then the other side, you know, the complete worst. Yeah. It's scary. I definitely think that when it comes to people like us, again, like people, like civilians, when, it, mm-hmm. when we hear certain things that happens during war, we just need to remember that, you know, it, when you're put in certain situations, it can change the way you do certain things. Absolutely. Like 100%, you know? So yeah. we can't necessarily like, there, there's this idea that we have to we we judge something that people do. But like, again, remember that's a totally different situation than we're in here. Right. <clears throat> 
There he is. Hello. Yo. All right, we made a we made a connection over here. Awesome. How's it going, Eddie? Good, man. How you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Great. I'd like to kind of kick things off with, uh, I guess, starting out uh, from the beginning. Like, wh- like what uh, prompted you to uh, want to be in the military, or did you even want to be in the military? How how did that come to be? Uh, well, I grew up uh, in a military family, so my dad was in the army for I think it's twenty something years. Oh wow! Uh, so bounced around every two years growing up. Uh, grew up most of my childhood in Asia uh, on army bases. Um, but by the time I had uh, graduated high school, I had like no real intentions of joining until uh, about a year after when I was uh, I tried college out and then decided to uh, work odd jobs and. Realized like none of that was for me. I needed to get out and make something of myself. So I, I went the military route and decided to join the Navy. Um, I didn't really uh, have any idea that I wanted to be a SEAL until uh, I got into the recruiting office. And then I was like, yeah, okay, this is, I, I'm going to be in the military. I want to do, you know, something extraordinary or something hard. What's it, uh, what's it mean to be a Navy SEAL? Because we hear that thrown around a lot, and a lot of us civilians don't know shit about the military. And so uh, we, I guess I understand some aspects of like the Navy, but what's it mean to be a SEAL? Uh, so a SEAL, obviously, we're part of the special operations community. Uh, so you have the different branches have their own special operations. So the Navy has the SEALs. Uh, Army has the Green Berets or Rangers. You know, Air Force has PJs, and the Marine has MARSOC. Um, we're all pretty much do the same job, uh, which is to work behind, you know, enemy lines or, uh, um, do operations to, uh, either capture or kill the enemy or target. Um, but, uh, we just, we go about it, uh, differently than other branches or, uh, water-based. So we do a lot of, uh, stuff in the water, um, should be good at swimming for sure. And then, uh, but because of the past uh, two decades of war, we've sort of switched, not switched, but we've been a lot more focused on land-based. Um, so we've sort of joined the ranks with the you know Green Berets and everybody else when it comes to doing stuff land-based. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're considered like the jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. So we can do, you know, a, so SEAL stands for sea, air, and land. So we can operate in any of those environments. Were you always uh, physical uh, before you even entered into the military? Were you already working out and running and things like that? Uh, you know, I it wasn't a huge priority like it is now for me. Uh, I definitely grew up playing sports. Um, I played, you know, soccer, basketball, baseball. I was I was always involved uh, in something, so I had that the background of that. But uh, yeah, I, I'd say I was I was pretty physical growing up, but I didn't have the uh, the depth of knowledge, of knowledge that I do now of, you know, working out and maintaining that. How long did it take you to like, you know, cause you were pretty like high up in the military before you left. So how long did it take you to like reach the rank that you, you got into and what, what exactly does that, what was your rank? What does it mean? So I retired as a uh, chief, which is an E seven. It's in, so I was enlisted. Um, you have the officers in the military and you have the enlisted officers usually they have a college education and they get commissioned and become officers enlisted. You can just join right out of high school. Um, it took me, uh, a lot longer to get to E7, not because 
um, I couldn't do it because I didn't want to. Mm. Uh, I, I tried to put that off as much as possible. I, um, I think there's in the SEAL teams, you know, once you hit a certain rank, which is E7, after that, you are pretty much hanging up your guns and you're more in a leadership role. Like you're more in a uh, back, you know, in the rear leadership role, um, advising. Uh, I still was super healthy and super motivated. Um, I just wanted to be a door kicker, um, you know, go out with the guys. So I tried to extend that as much as possible with by not putting on rank. But eventually that caught up to me around 17 years. And they were like, hey, you need to, you know, take on this leadership role, which I was like, yeah, I knew it at that point. It's like, okay. Uh, so it, it, but picking up E7, it varies for each individual. There are um, certain wickets you have to hit going through your career. And usually those are leadership wickets, uh, whether, you know, it starts off, you know, something as small as a fire team leader, squad leader, and then um, LPO, which is second in command enlisted. And then you get to a chief. Uh, but yeah, each, each person has their uh, different time and, you know, route to get to that, that rank. Uh, some guys pick it up quick and then some guys try and put it off. Taking the ownership of being a leader is, uh, you know, one thing, maybe if you're talking about like business or if you're leading some people through some exercise, uh, you know, leading some people through uh, a class or teaching them something, but leading people through uh, potentially losing their lives or being in, being at war has got to be a, a, just an enormous responsibility. Is that why a lot of people maybe don't like they'd rather wish to kind of, uh, you know, kind of stay on the ground floor and not have to be in those positions to, you know, give an order and then, you know, uh, have that uh, that weight of that particular operation beyond them kind of thing? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think so. In the SEAL teams, you're you're in a leadership role no matter what rank you are. So even the lowest guy is in charge of um, either individuals or were in charge of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of gear mm. um, or equipment. So from the beginning, when you get into the SEAL teams, you are expected to be a leader. And in the SEAL teams, you are expected to know the next person's job. So if that person gets fired or gets shot or gets killed, you're, you can pick up that, that uh, position just like that. Mm. Um, I think putting it off, to, you know, on um, the top leadership role, especially for the enlisted, um, that sort of goes back to guys don't, they know like that's the last mm. sort of hoorah of like, okay, I'm, I'm going out with the boys and then I'm going to pick up rank and that's it. Then I'm going to be back in the office, you know? And I think guys, some guys don't want to do, you know, they're, they're not ready for that, which I wasn't either. I was, I was still, uh, healthy enough to be running and gunning with the younger guys. Um, but, you know, it's not, that's on each, uh, each individual when they make that decision. For me, it was, I just did not want to hang up the guns. What are some common characteristics that you've seen amongst, uh, great leaders that you've worked with? Uh, big one is, uh, leading by example. Um, you know, the, uh, do as I do, not do as I say. Um, I think that's huge, but then, you know, I think, you know, leadership is is very harped upon in the military itself, but I, I don't think that the military, you know, 
has they're not the end all be all when it comes to leadership. Mm-hmm. They're still working on that too. I, I think you you being a good leader is you learn as you as you're as you are leading. You you learn as you go. Um, you're going to make mistakes. It's learning from those mistakes and moving on. Um, but one you know another trait is knowing knowing the people that you're in charge of. Uh, sort of investing the time to know who they are, um, especially in today's climate where. I mean, everybody sort of gets butthurt about everything. Uh, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I try to be as light as possible. <laughs> let it fly, Eddie. Let it fly. Yeah. You know, everybody's triggered. Everybody's feelings are involved now. So I think in today's climate, I mean, it you're going to have to know the individuals that are working for you. And I'm not saying you need to deep dive into them and tip, you know, walk on eggshells around them, but you should know like what are their strengths, weaknesses, you know, what are they not good at? And then whatever, you know, they are good at and their strengths, well then you delegate stuff to them, but that empowers them, you know, that they can use those strengths, you know, at the same time, sort of helping them pick up on their weaknesses as well. Um, I think that's, that's huge. And then, you know, you, you learn that as you go. Uh, You know, I had, my last platoon when I was in charge, I, you know, I made some mistakes. I, I was learning as I went, you know, I was dealing with sort of a new generation of seals who are very much, uh, like we had just talked about sort of in, in tune more with their feelings and, you know, you're, you're getting my feelings hurt or, you know, because you said this where I made a big, you know, a big example is, you know, when I was a new guy coming into the teams, uh, you know, my platoon chief, I would, the guy would smack us on a regular basis or call us a bitch or whatever, you know, just, you know, whatever mood he came in. Now we sort of expected that. We were like, okay, this, I'm a new guy, you know, just if, if he called me, if he said something to me that was negative, I would then reflect on myself. Like, am I being that way? Or is this, you know, but I think nowadays these people, you know, when you say something, some of this new generation, it's automatically, no, this is your fault, not mine. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you say I didn't do a good job? Um, mm. So it, I was, I was definitely battling uh, with that. I was, you know, I, I didn't know how to uh, at first talk to these guys or like, I couldn't even understand where they were coming from uh, when they would complain about their feelings being hurt um, or whatever, whatever else. Um, Did it sound a little bit entitled or something? Yeah. There's them? definitely a huge entitlement role uh, going on. Um, at least with some of the guys in my platoon. Uh, and so I didn't really know how to deal with that at first. I, you know, and I, I don't think, uh, I dealt with it the right way uh, a couple times. You know, I, I just called them out and was like, you guys are being entitled little bitches. And then they would take offense to that. And then that would just go down more spiral mm. into their emotions and feelings. So I, I would say, you know, looking back, I could have been more in tune with like, all right, caring about their feelings or their complaints, you know, there's no bad soldiers, only bad leaders. Have you ever heard that before? Oh yeah. Do you believe that? Um, uh, no, I don't think that's entirely true. You know, I, I do believe in taking ownership as a leader. Uh, I, I, you know, I do, uh, if you, I don't know if you guys have heard Jocko. Willing Absolutely. Yeah. So he preaches that extreme ownership, which, I do think that's, you know, 
that's the right way to go. You should always try and take accountability when you can. But at the same time, some people that work for you just aren't meant to work there. They just don't belong. And there's only so much you can do to bend over backwards for them to help, you know, make them feel like they belong or help them along. And if they, if they're not changing, then it's like, you need to cut that cord and be like, dude, no, you're out of here. You know, and if you, you can have bad soldiers. So like in your, in your time, you've probably seen people that are, they're in the Navy uh, Mm -hmm. and maybe they quote unquote become a Navy SEAL, but maybe they're not a soldier necessarily because there's probably some some sort of innate the nature of some of this to some degree. Uh, and there's probably uh, just some traits that I'm sure are like learned and taught, but it, there's got to be some other, like, I, I just, I think, I don't think there's any way that I could uh, ever learn how to do any of those things. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'm brave enough to even try any of that stuff. And I've heard from other people kind of say, well, it's because you're part of a team, you're part of a squad and you're doing it for the other people. But like, I don't even know if I care about other people enough to even do that, <laughs> even meet people halfway. So I, I, I totally understand your, your point there. And, and I think that that's, that's well put because you could have people that are soldiers uh, and they have all the right intentions and maybe they learned a lot of the skill sets, but maybe when it comes down to it, uh, they just weren't meant for battle. Yeah. And that's, I think that comes down to your belief system to where like, why, why did you join? Why did you want to be a Navy SEAL? I yeah, I, was, I just wouldn't even go anywhere near it because I know it's not. I don't think it's for me. <laughs> but I, it's you know, you see these, you see it in the community as well. Um, it's always been like this: guys join for different reasons. Not everybody wants to be a SEAL for the same reason. Some guys join it because they want to just have a career as a SEAL, pick up rank. Uh, you know, they just enjoy having the trident and you know, training or doing the job. Other guys joined to go to war. Mm. Like I, like I joined specifically. I want to go to war. I want to fight, but I want to fight with the best. And so you have these two groups, you know, in the teams, and it they definitely sometimes end up uh, coinciding and not. You know, it, it sort of there's a, a mix up. Um, yeah. you know, you, that's how that's sort of like my last platoon. I had half and half. Some guys were just there because they wanted to be a seal, and but they actually didn't want to go do the job. Mm. You know, when the bullets start flying, that's when you see, I'll tell you that, like when the bullets start flying and impacting around you, you see whose belief system is what. Aren't, I mean, sorry, I, I don't know. Um, wow. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, like the process for becoming a SEAL, but um, just as a, you know, just normal person, I would think that there's going to be some checks and balances. Like if, you know, like, uh, you know, like you can't um, can't learn how to deadlift by reading a blog, right? You have to go out and do it. So, is there something like that to become a Navy SEAL, where like you have to have you know some time like behind enemy lines, or so, like you know? I, again, I'm just trying to think that if you know half of your platoon was definitely shouldn't they definitely shouldn't have not been there. I mean, that's that's a huge miss, and I'm just curious, like how not that they slid through or they snuck in, but like how was that possible? So it, it definitely it wasn't half my platoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, the, the media and everybody was putting on like his whole platoon, half his platoon. It was, it came down to two guys, two or three oh, okay. guys. That was it. Um, they, um, you know, that, that'll be all in the book of how, you know, how this all came to be. But when it comes to guys sort of slipping through, there is, there's only so many checks and balances 
so much you can do to see if guys are going to be prepared for actual combat, right? Mm. And I'll tell you, we do a hell of a job simulating that environment through our training. Um, you know, we're, we go through stress inoculation constantly. Um, mm. You know, we do, we pretty much train harder than we would uh, fight at war. So we have a saying, the more you bleed in training or the more you sweat mm. in training, the less you bleed more. So, but to that extent, like, you know, these guys, the guys that I didn't, you know, that I found out didn't belong, they did find during training. I, there was no no question marks. Uh, I was like, hey, you know, these guys, you know, are locked on. They know what they're doing. Um, but the thing is, we're not getting shot at with live rounds. We're getting shot at, you know, with simunition through that whole time. It's not until those rounds start flying. And I've seen it before where guys are like, okay, I this is not cool, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Like there's, I'm almost, there's a possibility I could die. Um, and, and they make that decision after that deployment to get, you know, like this job isn't for me. Uh, I'm going to get out. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not cowardice. That's just, they came and they tried out, they made, made it to the teams, went to actually do the job, found out that maybe, Hey, this isn't for me and got out. Like there's nothing wrong with that. What these guys did is they went, found out they weren't meant for the job. They were cowards on deployment. And then instead of sort of taking ownership, being like, hey, I probably should get out. This job isn't for me. They flipped the tables and were like, no, this is your fault. Mm. You put us in this position. You made us go out all the time and, you know, get firefights. And then they tried to get rid of me. I was curious about this because when you were talking about the the new generation and like, I guess, the entitlement and also the the quick way to say like put blame on others when you were talking about when you were coming up in the military, how like you were just used to certain things. Right. And, and I feel also that when in the military, if, if I picture that environment, there needs to be a certain level of just toughness. There needs to be a certain level of, you know, just take this and go. Right. It's not like in, in a workplace in a, in, in a fucking workplace here, <laughs> your boss can't just like say, Hey bitch, you, like, right. That can't happen. But in the military, you gotta be fucking, it seems that you gotta, that's an environment that you have to be hard. <laughs> you know, you, you, there can't be you can't, softness you can't there. Go to HR department. You can't go to, <laughs> and then this, this is another thing. It's like, right. Like, I feel like with the new generation, my generation, there is a level of understanding emotions better, which is a benefit, but potentially in that setting, Mm. it might not be that beneficial to be super emotional. And that made me feel bad. And so what I'm trying to get at here is like, when you were coming up, you were used to that level of hardness. Is there any benefit to being more in tune with one's emotions in those types of situations? I definitely, yeah, I definitely think there is. I mean, there's, there's definitely a huge benefit to having what, you know, what they call like emotional intelligence, which is like, okay, hey, you know, I'm feeling this way because you said, you know, this and you could do all that jive. Um, and that uh, there is, that is a huge benefit. When I, growing up in, so I, I did my first four years with the Marine Infantry Unit. Um, there's definitely no emotional intelligence there. It's do what you, do what I fucking say and do it now. And if you don't do it correctly, I'm going to come down on you, you know, or, you know, that you, you're getting yelled at. You got to have thick skin. You also got to sort of know, like, this is the military. Like we, our main goal, all of the military is to go to war. There's, there's no other like component, like, oh, 
we do this or we, we're protecting the country by going to war. That's the end state. Mm-hmm. So you do have to have, you would think, some thick skin and then some also fortitude, you know, to to do that job, but also, you know, to take criticism or take, if somebody's yelling at you, it's like, hey, and I, you know, I always say to someone's screaming at you, I'm like, well, no one's shooting at you. So <laughs> just listen to what they're saying. And, and that's the thing. And these, I think, uh, what, what goes with being in touch with one's feelings or emotions with this, you know, emotional intelligence is being able to take that on board, but also knowing when to shut the fuck up. Mm. Like, you don't have to respond back. Just like, okay, I got it. All right, you know, and then move on. Um, a lot with these, what I saw with these guys, there was always something to come back to. You know, it was always, oh, why are you doing this? Why, 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 why? Until, you know, you answer the question in a way that they, it was going with their agenda. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty tricky, but I definitely am a big advocate for emotional intelligence. Uh, I think that makes you just a better operator and better warrior. Yeah, I think it's important to understand maybe uh, potentially what somebody's going through. You know, uh, they're super young. They're away from home. This is their first time, like without their phone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of things at play. They miss their girlfriend, and you're. You're thinking, hey, look, we, you know, we have a job to do here. I don't really care that much. I don't really, I kind of care about it because I went through the same thing, but we don't have time to like sit around and like uh, play patty cakes over it. You know, we don't have time to like sit here and like cry on each other's shoulders about it. And I think just being aware and saying, hey, look, I, I know that that, that this is happening to you, but we have fucking training to get to. I think that part of it is important, but I think what's really hard is to get somebody to to have somebody do something uh, because you want them to do something and not have them do it because they want it to be for the betterment of the overall cause, I think is where the problem lies the most. Because maybe they have a misunderstanding of, hey, I'm not trying to bark orders at you. I'm not trying to say something in particular to you to, to set you off. I'm not trying to have this be a negative component of your life. I'm, tr- we're, I'm trying to move forward with the entire team executing really well. And in order for the team to execute really well, uh, I don't really care that much that you don't want to clean out the shitter, but you have to because that's your job for this month or whatever, whatever the job might be, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah, and that you know, through the, I actually had meetings like that multiple times through the deployment to where I would sit down. I called them my the kumbaya sessions with them, like, hey, okay, what's going on? What are the main problems here? Like, because I was seriously like sort of. Uh, concerned like what what's going on and you know what it came down to you know each time was they they were like you're working us too hard like we don't want to go out as much um well that complaint is invalid when you're laying siege to a a city that's like five times the size of san diego that has been pretty much barricaded and prepped for the past three years by isis i mean there was no there's no days off here. Like our job, our objective is to clear Mosul and get rid of ISIS to, mm-hmm. we were told why we came in and this was by our higher command. Like you guys need to be aggressive as fuck the next six months. Like we will clear ISIS and we will kill every ISIS individual in there. Like that's, that's the main goal. And ISIS um, isn't really around anymore. It's not, it doesn't take you guys were successful, I guess. Right. Definitely we're successful. And yeah, we we cleared Missoula in six months, which they it was the western side of Missoula, which they said wouldn't 
couldn't be done when we got there. Like, oh, it's going to take years. Uh, we got it done along with our fellow uh, brothers of Mars, you know, Raphael and Marsock, and then there's a couple other SEAL platoons out there. Uh, but we got the job done, but it took working every day, going out every day, and you are risking your life. You, I mean, there was a lot of uh, risk. You know, we try to mitigate risk when we go out, but in that environment, there's only so much you can mitigate. And then some of it's like, hey, you know, if something happens, it happens. But we're doing this for a reason to get rid of evil. Um, these guys, I, I don't, I, they didn't see it that way. They, I mean, they literally said verbatim, like, this isn't our fight. This isn't our war. We don't, we shouldn't be here. I mean, that that's their, that, and that's why I talk about belief system. That was their belief mm-hmm. going into it. Where, as I and a lot of people, you know, guys that I came up with from the 9-11 generation, where, you know, we were in for 9-11, and that's the reason we've been fighting so long, have a completely different outlook. Um, And so you have those two belief systems sort of butting together, which I think caused a lot of the friction as well. Um, You mentioned that uh, these individuals, uh, like, tried to get rid of you. And uh, what does that mean? How did they try to get rid of you? I, I... My understanding is that they accused you of murder, uh, something to that extent. I don't know the exact details. I don't want to miss uh, misword it. So I'll just do like a try to do a quick overview of exactly how this uh, transpired to you know what it became. Um, and it's and honestly, it's embarrassing for the the Navy or NSW. Um, but it's exactly what happened. These guys, you know. We ended, we ended the deployment. We cleared it. It was a good deployment. Um, but like I said, a couple of these guys were still holding a, a grudge against me. Recall, I, I did call them out uh, near the end of deployment. So they, they held this grudge against me. They managed to – they were creating a toxic environment behind the scenes. Uh, we went back and managed to grab – get a couple more guys on their side. Um, they, they were avidly doing the sort of a, a campaign during that deployment behind, behind my back. Uh, and behind some other leaders back trying to get people to take their side. They got about two more guys, you know, on their side and there was nothing brought up about murder or any of the stuff I really got charged with. What it started out as is they came back and said that I was a bad leader. I was too aggressive. Um, that, and that, uh, my tactics were bad, right? The leader, they went to the leadership with this, and the leadership said, okay, give us examples of how he's a bad leader. And they couldn't – or bad tactics. They couldn't give anything that would justify their complaint. The leadership's like, nope, that's a tactic. We've been doing that forever. That doesn't sound like bad leadership. That sounds like the, you know, he was trying to get the job done. So they told him, like, if you have – unless you have real complaints, move on. Um, you could sounds like you guys just need to decompress. Uh, about two weeks later, you know, they'd come back like, okay, well, now we have evidence that he was stealing from us. And they're like, okay, well, what was he stealing? Uh, again, there was really nothing. Everything got, you know, they're like, that's, you know, he was stealing, I think they said power bars or protein bars from, we would get care packages. Those care packages are for everybody. Uh, so it's, they were like, that's not stealing. And the command, I think the command got really concerned and they were like, what is going on here? Why are you guys continuing to come with these petty allegations? Uh, 
And the command even asked them, they're like, is there something else that we should know about? Did he commit any crimes, any, anything over there that we need to be concerned about? These guys said no. They asked them three different times. They denied it all three times, and this is what they told them. They said, if, unless there's something like that, like a crime, a war crime, or then nothing you know, is going to happen to Eddie Gallagher. Like He's going to move on with his career. Because he and I see, I got ranked number one chief coming back. I got very high praises from my leadership from everybody else, but these <laughs> three individuals. Um, so because they said that to them, like, hey, unless there's something like war crimes, nothing's going to be done. They sort of coached these guys into like these guys are like, okay, they come back five months later and they're like, okay, yeah, he committed a war crime. This is five months after all these conversations, almost a year after the deployment. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, what did he do? They're like, oh, he stabbed a ISIS prisoner to death. And this is the kicker. They told the command, like, we have it on video. And unless you don't kick him out of the Navy, take away his rank and take away his award. I was getting, I was put in for a silver star. Mm -hmm. Then we are going to give the video to CNN. And it's going to look bad for the whole community. So the command, instead of calling their bluff or being like, well, let us see the video, they just bowed down to their, what they wanted. And literally within like a week, my award was gone. I couldn't pick up, my rank was gone. And they pulled me, you know, out of pretty much the job. And they went and told uh, NCIS who's at their Naval Criminal Investigative Service. It's sort of like the uh, FBI for the Navy. Not even FBI, but it's sort of like they're investigators for the Navy. They look into crimes. Uh, They told NCIS about these allegations. No one looked at the videotape. No one asked to see the videotape. Uh, From once NCIS got the accusations, it went, that's when it skyrocketed. Uh, The, I... The lead NCIS agent named Joe Warpinski, he was probably the worst element to add into all this drama because he he had two of the worst combinations of ambition and incompetence. He wanted to make a name for himself. He's like a Navy SEAL accused of murder. If I can put this guy away, then um, I'll make, you know, this will be a huge career maker for me. Uh, So he went into this investigation not... Not forming an investigation, but more of a prosecution from the beginning. He, he uh, cherry-picked pieces of evidence that made me look bad. And then anything that uh, uh, made me look innocent, he, he hit it. Um, they ended up raiding my house uh, when my, I wasn't home, my wife wasn't home. And so I sent like a 25-man SWAT team, like armed to the teeth, pulled my two kids out, 8-year-old and just turned 18 in their underwear in the street. And then laid siege to my house. And from there, that's when my wife and I were like, what is going on? This is unreal. And it just sort of kept skyrocketing from there. They they finally came about a month and a half later after they had raided my house and then arrested me and threw me in military prison with no charges. No one would tell me what I did. Um, I was I sat in military prison for about two and a half months until I was officially charged. Uh, with murder. Um, and from there, it was just a fight uh, to sort of combat the narrative that they were putting out 
and prove my innocence. And I finally, you know, it all came out during the trial. And that's, that was what the most amazing thing was, you know, all these guys lies because these guys had lied from the beginning. It caused everyone else to lie that was sort of taking their side. And that all culminated at the trial. And then when they were in trial, like one of the other guys admitted to what he accused you of, I think. Right. Yeah. That's yep. So I had, wild. when I was in a uh, military prison, I had two of the guys visit me that were, that had sort of been uh, sucked in by the accusers and, you know, they got them on their side. They came to prison <clears throat> and told me that they were lying. They knew this was a lie and they you know, that their conscience got, their conscience got the better of them. And they're like, we're sorry we did this. Uh, but at that point you couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like it yeah. was, this was going full speed ahead. I was being charged like I said, with murder, but I was facing life in prison without parole. Like that's what I was getting. That was, there was nothing else on the, on the table. What was the, um, like when you first got news of this, the first time, like, like where were you? Were you still like in the military or were you home for a little bit or like what, what was going on in your life and, and how did you feel? Did you just, were you like in total disbelief or were you just like, well, that's never going to become a thing because I just never, I never did that. So that sounds like a bunch of bullshit. I've been accused of a bunch of stuff and I didn't, I didn't do that. And this will probably never come to mean anything. Yeah. So I knew when we got back from that deployment, I had guys coming up to me that I knew that were saying, Hey, these guys are saying some crazy shit. Like at first, and it was all at first, like, like I said, it was all that, you know, I was a thief. I was too aggressive. I was that. yeah, I knew none of that was true. Um, so it really did, you know, it, it, it ticked me off that I was being called a thief. You know, I was like, hey, I did have a meeting with the guys and I was like, I want to know what I stole from you. I've never been called a thief before. I like, please tell me there's something. And they they couldn't produce anything. Uh, they were just like, you know, we just don't. We just, when this was like two or three guys talking, they're like, oh, we just don't like you. I'm like, <laughs> all right, then move on. I don't like you guys either. I'm not going to let it run my life. Uh, but then as... The time went on, I kept it, I would hear like sort of crazier and crazier accusations or rumors. And the SEAL teams are like one big rumor bill. It's like high school. I just think it's it's the most dramatic. As much as, you know, these these guys are alpha males and warriors, we talk shit about each other nonstop. And mm-hmm. it, it gets pretty toxic. So I, I'd been in long enough at that point to where I was like, rumors are rumors. I'm not. You know, I'm not even going to address them. Uh, it wasn't until they started getting crazy where I was like, oh, now they're saying you murdered somebody where I was like, okay, this is fucked up. I went and actually asked for someone to launch an investigation into it so I could – an internal investigation because I was like, let's just clear this and get this over with uh, because these these guys going around spreading these rumors is getting out of hand. Um, I, I had one of the Master Chiefs come talk to me about it. Just the one time anybody talked to me the whole time, and I told him that, you know, these aren't true, and I don't know what else to say. But unfortunately, the military, and this goes through all the military, you are guilty until proven innocent. Um, They're like, well, you have to prove that you didn't do this. So it literally just took them verbalizing he murdered somebody, and that was was enough uh, to start moving forward. But, uh, yeah, my wife and I both sort of turned the other cheek that whole time. Uh, we were like, hey, this is going to go away. This is ridiculous. Um, until, like I said, our house got raided. Then we're like, oh, okay, this is real. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
two two things I'm actually curious about the the video that you know they said that they had what would people have seen in the video because you mentioned stabbing so what like what were they talking about if that video was shown and then secondly you know we're, we're saying you were accused of murder right what i heard though was that like the individual that was murdered was a terrorist and i mean you guys i mean if can you explain to us why this situation was murder because you said that you guys were on an operation to go into this place and kill a bunch of ISIS operatives. So there must have been a lot of murder going on if that's the case. So what was so significant about this that it's like this was murder? Yeah. <laughs> so I think everybody had the same reaction, just like you did. Like, how is this murder? What the prosecution at NCIS did, well, this is what their narrative. And it, today it doesn't make any sense to me either. I'm like, they, well, it, so to clarify, it was premeditated murder. Okay. So they that I had the intention, <laughs> and it still makes me laugh just even thinking about it. I had the intention that day of murdering a combatant that was in our that was in our care, um, and just saying. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to even think that. Like, I would have that thought process. Like, you know what? Today, I'm I'm going to capture a guy, then then kill him. But that's what narrative they they were putting out the whole time. So they, they were saying that as soon as we had the guy in our, in our care and we were treating him, then he was no longer a terrorist. He was a patient. Mm. So okay. because I killed the patient, then that's premeditated murder. And they said, I had, a, I had it all planned out from the beginning, which that got their whole narrative got torn apart during court. It was because it was so amateur and so ridiculous. Um, as far as the video, the video was played during the trial uh, all it, sh it actually shows the opposite <laughs> of what they were saying. It shows me coming up with a med bag. The terrorist, we had just uh, bombed the terrorist, uh, about him and 20 other guys. And all of them died except him. He was pretty much on his deathbed. Our Iraqi partner forces brought him back to us. They, on the hood of a Humvee, I mean, he was bleeding out. Um, I grabbed the med bag and the ran up and started treating him, assessing him. Um, and that's all the video showed. So it showed me coming down with the med bag. He, I think, tries to lunge up at me. Not lunge up, but like reach up to grab me. I pushed him back down and started treating him. And then it cuts off at some point. So they, they were saying at some point after that, they said that I treated him. And then I went insane and took out a knife and started stabbing him in the neck. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's what they went with. Mm -hmm. And so it, uh, let me help you recover so I can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, I'll tell you this. And this is going to come out. In the so book. strange. The, we had no, like we didn't care if this guy lived or died. He was, he was just trying to kill us. You know, we were treating him to death pretty much like, Hey, we'll right. just do these treatments on. Cause he was going out. There was no plans on medevacking him. No plans on taking him to a hospital. We were just like, Hey, We'll just do these treatments until he's dead. Everybody there was on board with it. Even the accusers were involved in uh, doing some treatments on him. But, you know, of course, none of that was said, mm. you know, during during the trial, well, until the trial, uh, when it came out. And then it came out that that video was a big lie, what they were saying. It's, you know, because they were telling everybody it showed me stabbing the guy. And, mm. it did, you know, it showed nothing. Um that video was used as a weapon the whole time I was locked up. Mm. They were telling 
members of Congress, uh, all the way up to the White House, that there was a video showing me doing the stabbing and that I, they, nobody should support me. They should get on board with persecuting me. Um, and thank God that uh, we had President Trump at that time. And uh, I think he took he took sort of a deep dive into it. Just, and um, so did some certain members of Congress. And they got behind me. And I mean, that's a huge part of the reason why I'm still talking. I'm talking to you right now and not not in prison. Got to be a weird thing to go through where you uh, feel like you have to constantly kind of clear your name. Um, you know, like even amongst even amongst family, you know, uh, one of your younger family members, you know, learns that uncle. You know, Uncle Eddie is accused of this uh, or hears it from someone in school or hears a rumor circulating. Uh, that's got to be like, just really, really tough to deal with. And you say, oh, no, no, it's a misunderstanding, you know, but no one else is accused of murder. You know what I mean? So it's it's a tough thing to have uh, just have ever even been in any sort of contact with. How, how do you how do you deal with that? Is you and your wife, uh, you know, decide like, hey, we got to stay closer than ever or did you get with family and friends and say we got to really shut the world out for a little bit and uh and just take a deep dive into us moving forward as a family type thing um so during during the whole thing when i was locked up in the trial my family was a rock my my wife and my brother were both i mean those two are my heroes to this day they i don't know how they got the strength to do what they did, but they, they pretty much created a campaign. My wife started an Instagram account and organically just put out all the stuff that was happening to me, trying to get people to pay attention because I had a lot of rights being violated. Like I, I said, I was locked up for no reason. Um, so she got a huge following. Uh, my brother, who had worked on Capitol Hill in the past, went down to D.C. and was knocking on doors mm-hmm. of Congress for weeks on end, trying to get somebody to pay attention. Um, and this is what we learned during that process is the media, if they put something out, whether it's false information or whatever, people, the, that's the first thing they see and they believe it. Um, so there was, they had a hard time getting people to sort of get on my side because there was the media was smearing me at, at the same time, writing all these smear articles and it was all misinformation. Um, but the blessing and all that is the people that stuck with us and knew me and knew like this doesn't make any sense. That that was probably one of the biggest blessing, you know. But that that circle of people was smaller than I thought would be. Um, but I because of that, I was able to cut the fat out of my life. I'm like, hey, if you aren't going to get behind me, you know who I am. We've known each other for years. But if you're going to believe the BS is putting out there, then mm-hmm. all right, man. You know, I'll see you when I see you. Uh, but then, um, afterwards that it was a lot tougher to deal with, I think after the trial, because I had proven my innocence, but it didn't matter. The media was already on a full frenzy to like, they make me look like a psychopath, like a warmongering psychopath killer. Uh, and that didn't stop after the trial, you know, Mm. certain, certain entities of the media, uh, New York times for one, they would just write. I think it was months after the trial, months after I got out of the Navy, they were writing an article a month, just smearing me uh, nonstop. So we sort of learned to tune all that out. There was a, you get to a point where, yeah, it does bother you, but you, if you just let it bother you, it's going to, it's going to ruin you. You're, you're, 
it's going to eat you up from the inside. So we learned how we learned to sort of close all that out. Um, you know, your opinion doesn't matter to me. I know the truth. Uh, you can think what you want, but um, it that 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 went away last year. I think I think the more we just ignored it and then wouldn't address all the negative stuff, it it dissipated. You know, I'm curious about this. Uh, if you could like, because again, all of us here civilians, so we don't necessarily understand how something, how like I guess war, and can can change individuals. Because you know, the one of the big aspects of you know when people look into the story and what happened was the picture, right? The picture yeah. was what, and and that was what was used in a lot of things that the news put forward, and and even when I first started learning about it, I was like kind of shocked. Cause initially I was like, damn, like <laughs> these dudes are taking pictures with the dead body. Right. But mm-hmm. at the same time, when I was thinking about it, I was just, I was like, well, I mean, okay, looks pretty bad. <laughs> it doesn't look good. But at the same time, I would assume when people get used to being in war and the enemy who's also, who's doing very evil things, you're very used to killing the enemy maybe at some point some like at some point they start to be dehumanized as far as like right like the the enemy is no longer just a human being with their issues they're just the enemy that's doing evil shit and like they're not maybe it, does does that happen does it does it do 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 i guess soldiers get, get detached get kinda. detached yeah. from like this is like almost like you know when people will go and they hunt lions and you see them they post an instagram with their they post on instagram a, a kill right and people are like oh my god that's so disgusting mm-hmm. and it's kind of fucked up yeah but at the same time they're used to they shouldn't be killing lions but they're used to that shit right so so what does that do when when that photo was taken did 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 they even feel or did you guys really like i guess feel like that was still a person in a way i'd imagine it's pretty common Right. I'd imagine it's a common thing to an extent. I still don't think that. I mean, I don't have any emotions about that, that person or that, the dude, like it's, yeah. I'm sent over there to do a job mm-hmm. and that's to, you know, I don't, and this is the other thing, like after you've been over on so many combat deployments, at least this is how it was for me. Yeah. After, you know, my fifth or sixth combat deployment, you know, you're going over there, to, you know, you're being told like, Hey, we're going over to fight because of nine eleven. 11 protect this country. But then it's like, okay, two, three deployments later, like, what are we still doing here? But then it turns into, well, now we're going to stay and destabilize or, you know, try and stabilize Afghanistan and sort of bring our ways to them. It's like, okay, what's this got to do with defeating the enemy? Like, why are we staying here? And, it, you know, while you're doing that at the same time, you're fighting the enemy, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's that drags on. And then eventually you're like, what is the, per- why did we come over here? Like, why are we here? We still have American soldiers dying by these, by these guys. But at the same time, we're trying to protect people that don't want us there. They really don't. They're like, I think most of them are like, get the fuck out. You know, like they want, they have their own way and it's not our way and that's fine. Um, so I do think after fighting an enemy like that for so long, yeah, you do dehumanize them. Uh, especially the the atrocities that you see that they commit, which you'll never see on the news. So I've, I talk about this in the book as well. You know, the, that, that deployment, uh, 
especially, you know, we would, we would clear through this city after uh, our partner force would sort of clear through first. And then we'd see, you know, kids heads on spikes. Uh, there was, I mean, we watched randomly, they would send women and children out into a field and gun them down. We're watching that firsthand. You can't do anything about it. Um, so yeah, I would say after seeing shit like that, I'm like, I have no, like, my uh, my feel sorry or sympathy button for those people is, is rubbed out. Mm. Like, I'm like, dude, fuck you. Like, I, I've seen what you do. And if you're part of that group, and maybe that individual didn't really fit into that agenda. Maybe he just joined the group out of whatever. But either way, you're part of that group now, man. Like, It's pure evil, it seems. Pure evil. And they, guess what? They think of us just the same way. Yeah. They hate us that much. So there's... There's no room to be like, oh, well, maybe this person joined ISIS because his dad treated him wrong. You know, I'm like, no. Like, sorry, bro. You chose the wrong side. You're getting smoked. Mm -hmm. It's got to be. It's a tough position to be in. You know, like. uh, I guess some people would look at it as if, well, if you kill the person, now you are becoming them. Why would you why would you personally uh, believe differently? Um that what they're doing is wrong and potentially what we're doing is correct. Because that's otherwise, I mean, if I, if I questioned it any other way, then I wouldn't be in the military. Yeah. I joined the military to protect this country. Um, that's, you know, my number one priority. I do think those evil people are trying to come over here and if they get any chance to come over here and hurt us, which they've shown, they've shown in the past, you know, the random shootings, the bombings that, you know, ISIS takes claim for or Al-Qaeda, like, they will come and harm us. And I, I think that's what people sort of forget. You know, it's 9-11 happened almost 20, you know, we're coming up on 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's, and I, you know, I get it. That's 20 years ago, but it's like, you do remember, like, what they did, and they're still planning to do it again. But the only reason they haven't, because people are like, well, it's been so long. It's like, because we've been over there. <laughs> making sure it stays over there and not over here. That's why it hasn't happened in such a big way again. But I mean, as soon as we start doing this softer approach, which is happening and like, Oh, well, okay, let's try and be friends. It's only a matter of time before it happens over here again, because they generally hate us. They hate everything we stand for. They don't care what color you are. They don't care you know, what type of American you are, they hate you just because you're an American because they cannot stand our belief system. And that's, I'm not saying that's everybody over there. I'm right, saying right. that's these extremist groups that we're fighting. Mm. I, say, uh, I think it can be confusing sometimes for some of us that aren't involved at all. We don't really understand the circumstances and uh, ISIS and these are extremist groups and it doesn't represent the entire population and the no. uh, people that they're executing, the people that are shooting, the kids that they're murdering, the they're they're raping people and doing all kinds of crazy uh, evil stuff, like you said, that really you just don't really hear hear it talked about much. So it's not like we're over there randomly killing people that are uh, evil or bad, but these are these are people that are trying to uh, rule with terror and fear other people. Yep. And so we're the United States has been the world police for a very long time and. Uh, we are, you know, doing what we think is best to go over there and handle some of those things. And as you said, I thought it was very well put is that 
we're trying to keep it over that way. And I don't, I don't think we know any other good way of handling it. Cause I don't think, like you said, I don't really know if we could sit down with, you know, with these people and, and have conversation uh, that would lead us to anything different. Otherwise war wouldn't exist, which I think, uh, I think everybody would be pretty pumped if we didn't have to fight. And if there wasn't evil and there wasn't people murdering people, there wasn't people hurting each other and things like that. But the world has never been that way. No, war's been around since the beginning of humans. I mean, it's, there's two like definite things I know. There's good and there's evil. And that's, that's the truth, you know, and one has to prevail, you know, and whatever you can look at it, like, well, how do you know what's good or not? Like, that's your belief system, you know, and I believe America is good. I believe America is the one of the greatest country on the planet. Um, we, we take in even with the little minute problems that we have now, like this, I think everybody thinks America's falling apart. Like, believe me, we're not even close. <laughs> we're, we're doing pretty good. If you go to the, go to ahead, go over these other third world countries. That's when you can see true chaos. That's, you know, did the military do anything to assist you through any of this process in like getting you uh, a specific attorney or, uh, getting you some help from a mental perspective, uh, send you to a doctor, get evaluated, get support for your family, anything like that? No. So the one thing I'll tell you, the one thing they did is which they're mandated to do is give me a military lawyer, a defender. Um, but this is, this is the kicker. The military defender that they assigned <laughs> to me didn't live anywhere near me. He lived five or six hours from the, military brig or prison i was staying in so this guy i didn't get a visit from him and he's not a bad guy but i didn't get a visit from him until i was in prison for about two months and he told me he was like hey i'm not going to be able to i don't know why they assigned me to you because i which they did it for a purpose so i couldn't properly defend myself even with the lawyer they gave me um but that's that's the only thing i'll say they did for me other than that no they violated all of my uh which they got in trouble for. They violated, I think, my fourth, fifth, and sixth amendment rights. Um, they refused to take me to medical. They refused to get me any type of care. Um, I, it was full on an assault from the leadership of the Navy to try and make me look guilty and try to put me away because they were like, we need to use him as an example. Um, and they had their, their, their minds were made up no matter what, evidence or proof was shown to them like look this is this is bs they wouldn't look at it they're like nope this is already happening it's in full swing and i think it escalated when the president got involved um because the president got involved then the military's ego was hurt because he pretty much put the smack down was like let him out of prison so he can defend himself and their ego got bruised and then from there it their <laughs> their uh assault escalated on me um, it, it was it was a very very stressful time. Um, There's a lot of stuff being done to me and my family that uh, a lot of people don't know about. Um, that of course is never reported, and that's all. That's why I had. That's why I wrote the book because I don't. If I, I could sit here and tell you all the things that they did to me, and I, you would have a hard time believing it because I would never believe it until that's it that happened. Yeah, it's like what what were some of the things that they did? Because it's like, it, it's so, it's so weird to me how like you serve for these people and I, 
first off, like what were some things that they did, but then also what were they trying to prove with you behind bars? Like what, what were they trying to be like, okay, what were they trying to make an example of is the, is the question there. So I think that, well, first off, they, they locked me away unjustly uh, because they were still doing the investigation. So they're like, Hey, if he's behind bars, he has no way to, to fight this. Like we can, we can say whatever we want and he's not, he's not there to rebut it. He's, he's locked away. That was the main reason they put me in prison. I was not a threat to anybody. I was like living my best life, trying to prepare to get out, uh, to retire. And they made the choice that, Hey, we're going to go ahead and throw him in prison and continue this investigation until we can find some legitimate charges. Um, while I was locked up, the, my command, uh, NCIS, and the, also the prosecution was telling guard, where they were telling guards to make me snap. So they would every day. So these guards would come in, strip me naked, uh, do shit like say shit to me to get me to try and fight them. So they could point the finger and be like, see, he is crazy. Uh, they would, toss myself all the time. Um, they would deny me visitations. Um, they would deny me my, I had medical appointments because of my trauma. I, I went to a TBI clinic and I had a, two bulging discs. They were like, Nope, you can't have any of that. Um, and they denied my lawyer visits. My lawyer would try and come visit me. This is my civilian lawyer that I hired and they deny him talking to me. Now that's, those are just the things that happened in the brig. On the outside, the prosecution, uh, during the, the course of we were going to court, the judge said that there was a, a gag order on all the evidence, which meant nobody was allowed to see any of the evidence except for the defense, prosecution, and the judge. Like, it was illegal to share the evidence with anybody else. The prosecution was sneaking the evidence or leaking the evidence to the media the whole time, which is how you saw all those articles before I went to trial. Those were all smear articles of misinformation. They were doing that to promote their agenda, but also to sway the jury. So if they're like, if this gets out in the media enough and he gets smeared enough, the jury's already going to come in here with a bias. Mm -hmm. That's so they were doing that the whole time. And this is how bad it is. Like we would bring it up in court. We literally would get evidence, like a new batch of evidence that day that was already out in the media. So my lawyers were like, how is it that this is already out in the media and we're just now getting this? And we're like, we accuse, you know, we told the prosecution, like, are you guys leaking this? Nope. The judge would be like, okay, well, they said no, so move on. Like, there's no, there's no checks and balances. It's just... Hey, they're going to do to you what they want to do to you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a scary thing. And then one of the final things that really, this is what everybody sort of found out about and that did get reported was the prosecution sent a email to my lawyer, to every lawyer that I had on my team at the time, um, to other lawyers who were representing guys that were on my side, that email had a spyware in it that, if they clicked on the email or replied to it, they would be able to get into all of our evidence. What are everything that we had? So they, they got my, thank God my lawyer caught it and was like, what the hell is this? He replied back to the prosecution and was like, please tell me this is not what I think it is. And 
never got a reply back. <laughs> we invested, we brought it up, complained about it, investigated it, and it came out that, yes, the prosecution, uh, this guy, prosecutor named Chris Chaplack, and also the NCIS agent schemed up a plan to spy on us to get all of our information. So the prosecutor, the the punt or the uh, remedy for that was not dropping the case. It was, oh, we'll just kick this prosecutor out and put in another one. Now, if that happened in civilian court, my case would have been dropped. And also that prosecutor would have been locked up in prison. That's because that was, he broke my, forget how many rights at that time. Uh, But those are, I mean, those are some of like the, well, ones, you know, minute or bigger things. And there was so much stuff in between, uh, that you know it would take me hours to go through but you know that that will all be in the book i mean it gets it gets disgusting uh just how far these guys would would go to try and get a win it's uh it's pretty bad i can't think of anything more admirable than you know uh being in our military and and being someone that uh kind of lived through some of the 9-11 uh or seeing 9-11 and reacting to it like a pat tillman or you know we've heard of all these people that are like yeah i saw 9-11 saw what happened and i felt compelled that i that i personally had to do something about it i love this country and i want to defend it and then to go through what you're going through and what you went through i'm really massively impressed by the fact that i'm not really i don't really hear uh you sound uh you sound upset by it more so than like disgruntled by it like you don't sound like you're not a believer in our military it doesn't sound like uh you're not a believer in the united states of america it sounds like you're still you you know you're still team america you're still part part of it all which is amazing to be patriotic after uh serving the country doing all the things that you did doing all the right things doing what everyone views as being really admirable um and it's it does appear that you're hurt by it it does appear that you are i can kind of see it in your eyes even just talking through this zoom call uh but it doesn't seem like um i'd never heard you once raise your voice or say those motherfuckers or like i've never i haven't heard any of that from you so uh it's just impressive to me of how tough you are mentally that that is really impressive because i don't know you know i'm thinking like i I wouldn't be able to respond the same way so uh Congrats to you on that. That's impressive. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that compliment. And you know, I get I do get asked all the time, especially uh, like, oh, what are your thoughts on the Navy? What are your thoughts on the SEAL teams? And I'll I give the same response. Like, you know, I was proud and I was honored to be able to serve the twenty years that I did. Um, you know, if my kids wanted to join, I'd let them join. I think it's one of the most honorable professions you can have. And the big thing is, I will not blanket statement a whole organization because of a few bad actors. I think that's, I think that's what goes on a lot now in today's society where there's, it's like, Oh, like, you know, are there bad cops? Yeah. Do you know how many cops there are? There's tons. (laughs) Is there a couple bad apples in there? Probably there's bad apples in any environment. Um, but I've, you know, I think because, those two bad apples or whatever get blasted into the media that everybody blank. Oh, oh, all, you know, all cops are bad or, or all this group is bad because, and that, you know, that's on both sides of the fence when you're talking, you know, politically. So I won't go down that road. I'm like, I love the seal teams. There were just some bad actors who made some bad decisions. 
and that's that's the end of it, you know. And um, yeah, and I, I try to keep that attitude. Yeah. It seems like a, a massive part of your career, but really, you you have you had nearly twenty years of a lot of success and a lot of great things, and probably even though there's uh, some heartache and some things that you saw that you maybe rather not see, but uh, it sounds like you know it was an illustrious career in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, it's you know I you know the stuff that I did in my career was is whatever. It's the the men that I got to serve with. I got to walk amongst giants. I got to work with heroes. I mean, I've lost I don't know how many friends, uh, but it's to spit on that would be a disgrace. To spit on that service is a is a disgrace to them and to the guys that I worked with. I mean, those guys are heroes. There's, and they're still heroes that are, they're doing the job right now. Um, and we, you know, I, we should be grateful that we have men and women that exist and that want, that want to do that career. You know, from, you know, with all your experiences, the friends that you mentioned that you've lost and all the experiences that you had in the military so far, when navigating day-to-day life now as a civilian, how do you look at life differently? If you can remember like, right before you joined the military and had all those experiences you had, what, what's your perspective now? Like, like, like how do you go through your day to day and how do you, like what goes on in your head? Oh, that's a, <laughs> that'd be a, another hour long discussion. That goes on <laughs> <in your head. laughs> but you know, I, I think that like transition out of the military is a very difficult thing, uh, for a lot of guys, like, uh, no matter what you've gone through, you know, you're, you're transitioning from 20 years of your life where most people or 20 plus years where most people at that point in their life have, they've lived in the military longer than, you know, they haven't like that's been their life. So I, coming out of that is definitely difficult in a way to you. You want to find a new purpose. You're, you're no longer are serving in the military, fulfilling your purpose, whatever, whatever that was. Now you have to find something else. And I think, um, guys struggle. I've struggled with trying to find out what that new purpose is that will give me the drive that I had to, you know, become a Navy SEAL or to, you know, do, do the things that I did. Um, but you know, I, I, I get, you know, it's, it's been good. I've, I took the last year, uh, wrote the book, um, you know, as crappy as the whole COVID mess that happened it sort of helped me out because it kept me inside and it made me focus on the book and i got it i got it done in a pretty good amount of time um i try to uh just keep a positive mindset which is not easy all the time especially with everything that we're inundated with uh, constantly it's all negative so I, you know i um i try to work on meditation breathing uh my workout that's like an i have to work out every day uh some form or fashion. Mm. Um, I'm pretty, pretty big into that. And then, uh, what's really kept me grounded is just like my focus on my family. It's, uh, you know, I spent the last 20 years away from them. You know, I, I wasn't around for my kids, like growing up when they were little, like I would just be in and out. So now it's like, that's my main focus is to be here, be present, you know, and learn to sort of, you're learning to be a stay at home dad, stay at home husband again. Um, which, it's a process, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I got kids and so does uh, Andrew. It certainly is a process. How were you able to stay connected to like, or were you able to stay connected to fitness uh, and or nutrition uh, through all, through all of this, you know, being in prison for a while? Did you have 
access to anything or you're just doing some squats or are you just not even thinking of not even just your mindsets is not even uh you know in in the frame of mind to think about those things uh, no no i was prison. definitely thinking about those things in there um uh, that's i think that's the one way one of the ways that helped me sort of cope with being in there so i i put myself on a pretty regimented schedule with what i had so i just i had a cell nothing in there i made workouts up with just calisthenics uh I did a burpee workout every This morning. is the ultimate. So here at Slingshot and at Super Training, we say lift through it. This is like the ultimate lift through it story that I've ever heard. <laughs> so yeah. Like, well, it's, but it, it helped me kept my mind right. You know, right. like if I, if I didn't have that, yeah, I probably could have went down a real dark hole in there. Um, so I would use what I had. Um, you got <laughs> supposed to get one outside, uh, you got to go outside for an hour each day, one hour. Uh, and that was at night from seven to eight. So we would go out. They had two pull-up bars and then one uh, Ollie bar that had 45-pound plates welded onto it. <laughs> so you are sharing that with 60 other prisoners, um, which sort of sucks. But, um, you know, I, can't, I actually created a workout group <laughs> with some of the other prisoners because they were like, hey – you want to get in shape. So I was like, Hey man, yeah, you, I ran workouts with them during that time. You, and which also then allowed me to have access to all, all the workout equipment. So, cause I had a group, um, and I, I was able to work out that way. Um, so that, that was, you know, working out in there was huge. Now the nutrition part was, this is actually pretty funny. Um, so they don't feed you for, for shit in there. You get 20 minutes to eat your meal. Uh, you're only allowed the three meals a day. You're allowed nothing else in between. You can't have any food, nothing in your cell. Uh, the food that they do serve you is like the lowest grade quality, uh, whatever, of meat, whatever they're <laughs> making. And they only give you these. They have other prisoners who are serving you. Those prisoners are only giving you like a small portion. So I, I was losing weight in there for the first couple months, like real quick. Uh I <laughs> had to adapt to that environment. So I would have uh, one guard that I made friends with sneak me in uh, Copenhagen. And I would then baggy that up into a, they had uh, cleaning gloves. I would baggy it up to each glove and then I would slip it to the prisoners who were serving chow for double portions. Um, and that's how I <laughs> sort of tried to keep my nutrition in balance and like try and eat, eat healthy. Uh, you know, I was like, Hey, give me more meat do stuff like that. So what a I fucking meathead. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You got to adapt to your environment and make it work. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, yeah. I, I was curious about this real quick because you mentioned you were given a, a military lawyer uh, initially, but then you also mentioned that like later on you had that civilian lawyer. So was, you know, I, I'd imagine that if the military, you know, they're trying to do something to you, and then they give you a lawyer. That seems kind of shady. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> now you're getting into a whole other realm of what we, it's called the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, and just how broken that system is. So the military assigns you a lawyer. I got, you know, a Navy JAG. You also have Navy lawyers that are prosecuting against you. Uh, and then you also have a judge who's a Navy lawyer that just was in long enough to become a judge. 
all those people work for each other. So when you have, say, the, when the prosecution was doing all of this illegal shit to me, I, you know, it was evident. My JAG was very hesitant to call them out on anything because he's like, I, they might write my evals one day. I might work for them one day. So their careers mm. are all on the line when it comes to doing their jobs, which right there, you will not get fair representation. So you're not getting somebody that's like fully invested in you and trying to, you know, prove your innocence. You're getting someone that's like, Oh, well I'll help you out as much as I can. look, as long as it doesn't hurt my career, you know? So, and that happens to everybody in the military. I mean, the, when I got locked in military prison, I, I met a lot of people that didn't belong in there. I met a lot of people who were duped by this corrupt system that they literally, so I'll back up a second. The military prison, what we call that is a plea bargain factory. So what they do is just like they did to me. They throw guys in there before they're even charged, threatening them like, yep, you're going away. We're going to hold you in here. Um, While you're in there awaiting your trial, they'll constantly tell you like, you know, the case is done. Like, you're guilty. It's it's not looking good unless, like, we suggest you take a plea deal. So guys, at that point, and you got to think, a lot of people in the military cannot afford civilian lawyers, so they they don't have the luxury of getting the best defense for them. So guys at that point are sort of at a stalemate, and they're like, "Well, I'll just take the plea deal then." If you know, if I'm going to get, they'll be like, "Oh, well," and what they do is they threaten them at first with like 50 years. Like, oh, you're going to be in here for 50 years. Like, oh, unless you plead guilty and we'll only give you six. And so that after you're leaving a 20 something, you know, a lot of these kids are like 21 years old as well because they popped on a piss test or something, Mm. you know, for smoking weed or, you know, they get thrown in. Oh, yeah. So they take take the plea deal because they're like, well, 50 or six years, I'll just take and that's I'll just take the six. That's how the Navy or the military or UCMJ keeps their prosecution rating so high because that's just a win for them. So what's wow. so other than having like the, uh, the, the stats for it, what's in it for them? Cause you think if like a, like a private prison, you know, they, they'll, they'll have uh, inmates and they basically be, you know, they can work for pennies on the dollar. Uh, what's in it for them to uh, try to, you know, keep giving these plea deals to keep people uh, locked up. Uh, that's uh, so there's a lot of money made in the military prisons. So when you're in there to even use the phone, you have to Shit. have, I mean, I, and I, I, excuse, I don't forget the exact numbers, but it was like a dollar a minute or a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. So you had to have, you had to pay all this money to use the phone in there. That, that money goes to the military prison so that, Therefore, it's like it's better for them to keep as many prisoners in there. Um, they also charge you if you want toothpaste, all this stuff. They overcharge you for everything, um, and that money goes directly to them. So there, there is sort of a hidden deal, you know, with the prosecution and the military prison. Like, hey, we bring you another batch of guys. Like, cool, or we just lost, you know, a couple guys just got out. Oh, we we got some guys to fill their spots. It's uh, it's pretty disgusting. Now. I, I know that's sort of like going down a rabbit hole, but I mean, I saw it firsthand. It's, it's there. So that, I think that's in their best interest to also keep, you know, the prosecution ratings high and then uh, also keep guys locked up. 
how are you with your kids? Um, are you uh, able to instill some of the things you learned in the military that were maybe considered like cold or hard? Or are you just a big softy and they run all over you? I'm a big softy. <laughs> I, they, they definitely run all over me. <laughs> I, uh, with my kids, like especially with the, in the career field I was in, um, since I, like I said, I was never home. So when I was home, I was like the fun time guy. You know, I was like, right. Hey, let's do, I'd spoil them where my poor wife was like pretty much a single mom raising them on her own and being like, you come home and you, you don't discipline enough. You don't do this. And, uh, I, um, I've definitely, I'm that's, that's the growing part of this past year of being out. I'm like, all right, trying to be more, more present and disciplining them and like staying on top of them. And, uh, also find that fine balance between, you know, discipline is not yelling at them. Discipline is like sitting them down, talking to them, you know, telling them like, Hey, this is right or wrong. Definitely not trying to use the military approach at all. Right. Uh, you know, if they want to join the military, they'll get that there. Right. <laughs> like, like Mark mentioned, you know, when you, when you do talk about the military, you, you still have the, so you still know that the good ideals are still there. You, ha- you haven't been like bad mouthing it. So I'm actually curious, like when it comes to like, if your son, cause you said, you, I think you said your dad was in the army, correct? Yes. Okay. So like yeah. if your son wanted to join the military or, you know, we got a lot of listeners that are probably considering, right. Um, what, what kind of things would you tell them to maybe think about? Cause it's not like, again, the military is bad. What happened to you is horrible, like horrible, you know, but that's not everything. Right. So what should, what should one uh, kind of think about before taking that leap? Um, well, I would definitely go in with a plan. Um, so if you are thinking of joining and I've told my son this as well, my oldest, uh, I have an old, old son. He's 20, he's going to turn 21, uh, this year. But so he, he was considering it. So I told him, I was like, hey, I, I want to go with you, uh, just to double check. But, to anybody else, I would say have a plan. What's your what's your motives for joining? What are you joining for? And it doesn't have to be, you know, I want to go to war, shoot bad guys. It's like maybe you want to learn. I mean, there's you can pretty much learn any career path you want in the military. And that's what I would say to people like, hey, get a career path that you can use on the out when you get out. It's going to set you up for success. Um, you know, I wouldn't go in with the mindset of, I'm just going to stay in and do my 20 years. I would take it chunk by chunk, uh, you know, go in with that plan, start executing that plan when you get in. Uh, like say you want to be a welder. There's the Navy has like probably the, some of the top welding schools you can go to. Um, and then when you get out, you can apply those skills. Uh, but then you never know, you might join and you actually might like the structure of the military. You might, because it is, there's a, there's sort of a comfort in it. You know, you, you get used to it, and then you, you also know your schedule. Uh, you sort of know what's coming. Um, and if you want to you know, stay in for the 20, then I would uh, start looking on you know, ways to advance and to make as much money as you can in the military because uh, that's the other thing I would tell people is like the pay is, the pay is not as good as the recruiter is telling you it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's enough to survive, but and it make enough to make you comfortable, but... Uh, just be prepared for that as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would tell people. I think that's the most important thing is have a plan before you join. When's your uh, book going to be ready? 
Uh, so that's sort of the unknown right now. So we um, turned it into uh, DOD. It's, uh, so because I was a SEAL and because I wrote, you know, wrote a book and talk about certain things, uh, it has to go through a DOD review process. So it goes to the Pentagon and gets passed around mm. until everybody approves it. And during that, they could be like, oh, you're not allowed to say this and mm. sort of black out certain things in the book. Um, it's definitely taking a long time. We, it's been there since last September. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the one sort of frustrating thing is we are in control that we can't, you know, they're going to give it back when they give it back. Uh, you know, the big worry is because it doesn't make the Navy look good. Um, maybe somebody's holding on to it on purpose, to, but I mean, either way, we, I knew that it was going to take a while going into it. We are hoping that and hoping and praying that within the next month, month and a half they'll release it so uh once it's released from them it'll be about another month of getting it ready to get public you know go to the pub date and be out so i'm I'm hoping and praying like this summer it's going to be out in stores um is it uh frowned upon by some other military uh personnel maybe to uh speak out uh against against the military or like i mean have you lost kind of friends over some of that kind of thing i guess the book's not out yet but does anyone give a shit about that or not really? Nope. And that's, I had a, uh, I had a very hard time writing a book because of that ideal. I grew up thinking that you should never write books about what you've done. You're the quiet professional. Um, of course that has changed. You know, there's tons of seal books out. So I had, uh, I was like, Oh, I'm just another seal writing a book. Mm. And I called my friends who are still in. Uh, I talked to multiple of them. I was like, Hey, and they were like, no, everybody was on board. Like, you need to tell this story. This is not, this needs to be told to everybody, uh, by, you know, by you to everybody. So everybody can hear the truth. There was no, I've gotten no pushback on Great. it at all, except I'm sure <laughs> some of the higher ups are, are not going to be too happy about it, but it is what it is. I mean, it happened. So. Where can people continue to follow along with, uh, some of your life and your story? you got Instagram and stuff like that. You want to share that with us? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's at Eddie underscore Gallagher at Instagram. Um, uh, I also have our, our own website, uh, theeddiegallagher.com. Uh, um, that's, you can follow along there and see, you know, I, uh, what I'm doing. And I'm also promoting, you know, other businesses, helping other businesses, especially uh, working with Redcon One uh, and Aaron Singerman, who's just a phenomenal human being. And uh, yeah. um, I'm also working with Nine Line. And, um, I'm working with a, uh, tactical store that's local to me to precision tactical. I'm making wet, uh, ARs on there and selling them and, uh, also some, uh, brass knuckles. Yeah. And we're coming out with a pistol here next week. So that's going really well. Yeah. So we're going to continue to build on that. Um, I have, it's my seek battle brand. Um, so, you know, we, we, we started getting that going last year and we're hoping to just expand it more this year. And that can all be found on your website. Yeah. Are we able to buy those uh, weapons in California? (laughs) Yep. We make them California compliant. Nice. um, If need be. (laughs) Sick. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Man, that was, there was a lot there. I was very, I I feel like, um, that guy's strong, man. (laughs) Yeah. That like (laughs) that prison group. Pretty much made a prison CrossFit team. Yeah, right? Um, just uh, 
must have been really brutal to go through all that and then to he still seems like he doesn't seem like he's like pissed off about it seems mm-hmm. like he just is he seems like he's frustrated by mm-hmm. it but uh yeah it didn't seem like it just seemed like he's uh he, he like understands that if he does go crazy it's not gonna look good <laughs> right right i you know for sure he wants to you yeah know, like you don't go through all that and you know, have the that stoic face like that mm-hmm. without knowing for sure that like <laughs> this is what I have to do right now. Everyone's paying attention and watching, right? Or Wait. just maybe maybe he just has that much control, man. Like, oh, absolutely. You, yeah. When you do something like when you have that type of job for twenty some odd years, like either your personality hardens to be able to handle the stress, or I mean, you see some guys break, mm-hmm. right? He's definitely not broken, right? So like. I, I would assume that what he went through with all of this probably doesn't compare to what he's done and seen on the battlefield. Mm. I would assume mm-hmm. that would just be my assumption. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong, but I mean, shit. Yeah. What he said about, um, what he said about having a skill that you can utilize when you're out of the military. I think that, that was really, really useful for anybody that's thinking about it. Cause uh, I have a friend right now who's been in for, I think nearly 20 years and with his profession of what he has, there's really, it'd be, it's not very useful. I guess he could, I guess he could like, uh, perhaps continue to pursue it, but it just doesn't really make any sense. Like it's, it's not, it's not a very common job. Um, obviously there's like leadership traits that like if, if somebody was to apply here and they said like, I don't know what I can do, but you know, I was a Marine I'd be like, well, I'd imagine that you can do something, yeah. you know, same if someone came here and they said, I, I don't have much education, but I'm a uh, black belt in judo. I'd be like, all right, well, that shows a sign of something, you know, or I deadlift 900 pounds. That's what college is pretty yeah. much. I mean, like when right. people apply for jobs, stamp next to your name kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like just people apply for jobs and their major has nothing to do with that job. But some employers look at it like, well, you did four years of this and you completed it. <laughs> like that's. So, I mean, shoot. Yeah, you had to show up on time. You had deadlines. You had different things you needed. And with the military, you're just thinking, shit, this guy, you know, must be, uh, you know, put together. But I think that's important. Like, what, what's the skill that you want to learn? And what's something that you may want to be involved in even, uh, even when you do retire? So, mm-hmm. man, there's a lot of great stuff from uh, Eddie today. And I loved his, uh, his kind of lift through it story, how he was, tra- he was still training and, uh, 135 pounds to share with mm-hmm. 60 other people, and yeah, how he got a little extra protein. Yeah, talk yeah. about protein leveraging using tobacco. Wow, he was using tobacco to leverage his protein <laughs> intake. That's <laughs> sick. Get another scoop coming yeah. out of the joint, all jacked. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. And then you know, the, the one hour that he would get outside was when the sun was already gone. Seven eight Fuck. p.m. That was the only time he gets to go outside. Prison is fucking and dang man, like. <sighs> It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you hear all the crazy stuff that goes on with the justice system here in the U.S., but then, like, even military, the military yeah. justice system. Right, right. Like, just the, the pure corruption. It's scary to think about. I hope that they don't, like, take out too many of his words from that book. But I think, because if they have yeah. the power to do that, then mm-hmm. you just wonder, what are we not able to understand or get from it? But it'll be a good book when it's out, I assume. Yeah. The prison system's a good thing to review, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we've talked often on the show about the education system and how I think all three of us are believers that, like, hey, it should be just, like, looked at. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just, 
let's just open up some dialogue of like, let's make some changes to the education system the way that it currently is. Uh, but man, our prison systems like, and I don't pretend to have a bunch of solutions to it, but uh, are there things that could be done that could be helpful that are probably fairly easy to uh, implement? Probably, but are there things that if you implement this thing, now you're cutting out that other thing that gives the prison mm-hmm. money and you know mm-hmm. you run into different things. But could you get outside during sunlight? Could you always make sure that the men and women of the prison get to see the sun set and the sun rise? You know, mm-hmm. it, it just little little shit like just you know, hey, you have an opportunity to go out for 15 minutes to see, you know, and but. I don't know. Like, it's I don't know. tough because yeah. there are some people that mm-hmm. deserve to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And then you're like, fuck, you know, the yeah. conversation we yeah. had yesterday with, yeah. with, with Settledge, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, yeah, go, <laughs> you, 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 I don't know if you want to retell it by like the wrestling thing when you're like, you know, you have one of your, uh, the guys that you coach, like, Hey, I want you to go kill this guy. On, oh, know, he's, yeah. acro- he's across the mat. You need to take him out. And then he like dump him on the neck or something. And then now that kid's paralyzed. Like, whoa, like I I wanted you to take him out, but not like that. Yeah. So with, you know, like prison system, it's like, yeah, we want it to be a little bit better, but maybe not for that guy right there. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's, it's, yeah, you're supposed to be hard, supposed to be locked up. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of people that say that, yeah, you're, you're no longer a normal citizen. But right. my, my reaction to that would just be, uh, Oh, I guess I got two things on that. One would be, um, you know, we're only as good as we treat our people that commit crimes and people that are less fortunate. So it's never good to look down on people. It's never. And then also every, I believe that everyone deserves multiple chances. You know, I, I believe that for, I don't, I mean, look, maybe, maybe saying everybody is maybe a stretch, you know, because there's some people who just have really done horrific stuff that oh, yeah. we can kind of just face the facts with with that with some things that are uh, just so horrific that you're like, there's no rehabilitation process for this person, you know, mm. and that's where the ideas of the death penalty and shit come into mind. And right. it's like, I don't know if that's right or wrong or, um, I you know, and then you end up with so many other issues of like did the guy actually do what you, you know, yeah. is the guy going to the electric chair? Is the guy getting killed uh, for something that he didn't, it gets to be really messy mm-hmm. really quick. So I, I'm not a fan of the death penalty because of that. Mm-hmm. If it was simple and we're like, yeah, that guy did this and we knew that and it, then uh, I would be a fan of it. Cause I don't know what else the other, the person's uh, reason is to be around any longer. And if there are threats yeah. to everybody, um, but taking someone's life is a, <laughs> Mm-hmm. is a fucking wild thing and then imagine just like eddie today uh being accused of that but also being somebody that has killed a lot of people mm-hmm. like we did i didn't really ask him flat out but I'm, I'm sure he's uh whether it's indirect you know you you know set out to detonate a bomb or threw a grenade or not sure if you killed somebody maybe never even saw or identified mm-hmm. that you actually were the one that did that or was it in Seamus grenade that did it, it was my grenade or was mm-hmm. it yours Maybe you don't really know all the time, but I'm sure that he's participated and been part of his team killing other people. Oh, absolutely. And then, but then to be wrongfully accused of like a war crime is weird. It, the whole thing is weird. Like you throw yeah. a grenade and then people are wounded and they're really messed up. He said everybody died except for that one guy. And then you have to help them. Like that seems weird. 
but it also seems savage to like go and just you know run up and stab the guy when he clearly can't defend himself anymore but what if he can defend himself enough to where he can he can grab a knife out of his pocket or yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it could quickly turn to oh you you didn't kill him and then he had a knife and he killed one of your guys that's a different story now and mm-hmm. now he's getting you know in more shit because we lost one of our guys right like holy crap what a, a lot of messy stuck between a rock and a hard place God. yeah messy Damn. situation yeah. yeah yeah when i was like when i was like again reading about all this stuff like there's this knee-jerk reaction to be like oh my gosh that's like there's this is this is horrible this What's is wrong with this guy he can't do that but taking then, a picture with a dead person and stuff yeah yeah but then like when i was when i backed off and been like okay well you know you always got to try and put yourself in that situation do you think you'd be capable well doing all of that over and over and over again it's almost like you know like you, you start to joke around about certain things like me when we i had a there's a kind of a meeting that i i had with some guys when when this stuff was going on last year with like george floyd right so a group of like white guys and white guys and black guys met and we all just kind of talked about the situation that was going on and uh we we taught we some some of myself and some of the other guys like we were laughing at situations when we got like pulled over or some bad situations that we had with police and all of us were laughing about it. Like we just thought it was funny <laughs> because it shit happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some of those, the, the white guys were like, how, how, how can you guys laugh about this? this that's so horrible. Like, well, it's like, well, this shit's kind of common. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's kind of the same shit here. Like yeah. when you, when you see things so often and you have to do things so often, well, this is just, is just another body. You're just taking a picture. Like it, it's, it's dark humor within that context Mm -hmm. and it's tough like it's like you would never want to think that you would have the ability to do something like that but hey if you're put in that situation you never really know Mm -hmm. and if you're conditioned at all like if you've been through the situation multiple times uh you know maybe somebody that has been pulled over uh that has been in those situations before maybe like here we go again you know the cop's gonna give me shit Mm -hmm. you know i i think my son and my dad had some sort of thing where they got pulled over and my son was driving. I don't think my son had his license on him mm-hmm. and I forget exactly what happened, but, uh, and maybe my dad wasn't with, I can't even rem- really remember, but they just let him go. They're like, your tail, your tail lights out, you know, like, and, uh, they didn't give him a fix a ticket, nothing, yeah. you know? And, uh, so we talked about that and I said, I said, you know, they, they're probably just like, you're a 17 year old kid you're with your grandpa like he's like i couldn't believe it the guy like i didn't have my license with me he's like i got really nervous because i was like oh shit like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna get a ticket or something's gonna happen (laughs) and the guy just said hey you just you got to fix your taillight and don't drive without your license you need to have your license with you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just got a warning Mm -hmm. and i said you know you got to think about that in comparison to what we're seeing on tv and what you hear other people experience and he was like yeah he's like i think it would have been different if I was a different color. And I said, it, it possibly, yeah, mm-hmm. possibly could be. It's good. To, it's good to, good to know that kind of stuff. And it's good to, uh, just to examine that and just say, Hey, like, are these things that we can make better? Like, mm. it seems like there's a lot of things mm. that we can work on 
and make better. And with all the stuff that Eddie went through, it's all stuff like I've never, I've never even thought about that before. Mm-hmm. I'm not really thinking about friends that I have getting pulled over and being harassed by police officers because I never went through it. It's not that I don't care about it. It's just like, I don't know much about it until you bring it up or until someone that I'm close to brings it up. And I'm like, holy fuck, that really sucks. When Eddie started bringing up this other side of the military, like military prison, (laughs) if you would ask me before the show, hey, what do you know about military prison? I would say zero. And I still don't know anything about it, but at least, you know, I I learned a little bit more about it and everything he talked about sounded so uh, backwards Mm -hmm. and wrong. And like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it exists for a reason. And I'm sure that there's certain things they execute that work really well. But at the same time, almost everything he said sounded strange and odd, even like the lawyer that he got and the lawyer was far away. And like, just it's like, man, these are, uh, these are people that signed up, you know, to do a job for our country. And I think everyone should be able to have some sort of representation, but if you figure with these people in particular, that they would get a little bit, you know, they would get a little bit extra help. Yeah, yeah. Or, or at least, uh, fuck, have a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, I came, I came in to see how you're doing because this is a lot to handle. You want to talk about it? You know, like just that. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't bring one, one person in to assist or you know, hey, we're we're going to send a psychiatrist out to your family because we know how hard this must be. Nothing, got nothing, got yeah. nothing back from that. But the fact that it was. Every everyone that he could have seen or did see, you know, like the lawyer, was kind of on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is not even close. But my first job, where like I had to do a lot of typing, I developed this weird uh, like ganglion cysts, whatever, mm. like out of nowhere. And I was like, this kind of hurts. I don't know. It ended up being nothing. Yeah. But I was like, I think I could. I don't know. I got insurance now. Like I want to see what this is all about. And I was forced to see, um, I forgot what it's called, but basically like, like the company doctor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, that has nothing to do with typing. I was like, I think it does. And they're like, no, 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 no. it has nothing to do with uh, your job or what your daily tasks are mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, can I see a normal doctor? Like, well, if you do it, like they made it really hard <laughs> not comparing the two. Yeah. So, yeah. but what I'm saying is like, it. I felt that that was unfair. And the fact that they gave him, you know, again, somebody on their team, like that is wild. Like, holy shit. Like, how is that okay? And then on top of that, I don't, again, just like, you know, we've been saying like, I don't know how this shit works, but I, I think it's insane that the uh, military prisons make money off of the inmates. Mm. If they're even called them inmates, I'm not sure what the the terminology is. So I apologize for that. But mm. I, I don't know, man. That that seems pretty freaking wild to me. That they, you know, again, like Mark said, they served the country. S- something happened. It, <laughs> he mentioned smoking pot. <laughs> yeah, People yeah. Testing positive for like drugs. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. Um, and you think about the situations they're in. Like, I right, smoke a little dude. bit of weed and feel okay. Like, I'm sorry. Great. Yeah. God. Get that prescribed to everybody. Like, <laughs> hey, you need to mellow out a little bit. All right, here's some hey, weed gummies yeah. or something. But yeah, and of course, then there's like the other side where maybe somebody does belong there. But yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I think that's, that's fucking crazy. Like, hey, you signed up. Then can we at least give them a, I don't know, a phone call? <laughs> 
you know, mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't, you know, again, I mean, zero experience, zero knowledge yeah. on the whole system. It just, as a civilian from the outside looking in, it appears to be really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, like, like Mark said, like there's probably some reasons that some things are put in place. Like in military prison, you've got to imagine that, well, some of those guys have probably done some, some, some shit. shit. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. So, so it's not like everyone in there's, you know, a, a victim, but mm-hmm. I mean, when, when he was mentioning like the fact that, yeah, you are given this military lawyer, a lot of young guys don't have the money to, to get a civilian lawyer. How scary is it, that? It's like, oh. everything is. <laughs> it, it's there's this everything is against you and you don't have a choice but to just go with what is given to you and take like take that you can't really defend yourself 60 years or six years what what do you think is going to be more you know enticing that reminds <laughs> me of like you know i mean you, you heard the central park five right those yeah it was back in the 90s or late 80s 90s the, uh, these five black kids were um mm. they were put in jail because they were you know, they they said that they raped a woman in in like you know mm-hmm. uh, in a park which mm-hmm. they were actually innocent of but what they did is they brought these kids in individually and they're like hey if you don't say you did this then you you're gonna get this yeah. with no supervision and they got these kids to admit to something and, mm-hmm. and to, to tell stories differing from each other um, by force mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. it's very reminiscent of that and it's just fucked up yeah. Yeah, a lot of similarities there. I, d- I didn't want to, I was going to talk to you after the show because I just didn't want to turn people off to that. But yeah, it does seem like when the cards keep getting stacked against you, it reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, when the black person's on trial and it's yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of shit going on. Actually, like, you hear about that very all the time. conveniently, you know, against the individual and, you know, but again, that's another conversation. Another day. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's all stuff that you don't know much about it until you hear Correct. about it from, you know, uh, and then if if uh, somebody does talk about it, mm-hmm. then it sounds like they're complaining and you're like, that's not true. Yeah. You didn't get pulled over by a cop. That didn't happen. Like, not like that. Like, what are you talking about? Why Why would a police officer physically grab you and, and remove you from the car when you were just speeding? You know, you're like, hey, it sounds unbelievable, sometimes, right? When you hear somebody mm-hmm. say something, but, you know, you see it happen time and time again. You hear about it time and time again. It's like okay, well, there's probably truth to this. We should probably investigate this. Or we should work on making it better. But a lot of the stuff that's in our society, that's just, it's just been here forever. Why is this still done this way? Oh, it's because the way we've always done it. <laughs> and like, well, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> it's not a good excuse. Yeah, that sounds pretty stupid. <laughs> I know it might be uh, tough to implement some change, but it sounds like we'd be better off for it. Anyway, Andrew, take us on out of here. I will. Uh, real quick, that picture you just sent, shout out and huge... Con- uh, did you make it way short? Congrats. There we go. He <laughs> <laughs> wants a second opportunity. Everybody deserves a second shot. Uh, yeah, here we go. And... Oh, it's nice. in there. How the hell did that go? Oh! Jesus. Okay. We're not well, very good. We're okay. Not, we're not good. Congrats right. to another, I, th- I believe he's a Navy SEAL, Shane and his wifey, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. What's that little thing's name? Any idea? I do not know. Looks I like a ask. little burrito in that uh-huh. picture. Can you bring the picture up? I would have to email it myself. Oh, are we it's talking gonna, about a baby? I can. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, you know, oh, let's okay. pretend that it's up right now. Um, yeah, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, she had her baby, I think, hey. sometime early yesterday. What's his name? I don't we didn't know. get a name. Didn't but get a name. Congratulations. Ooh, it does look like a little burrito. A little burrito. Cute. <laughs> Congrats, guys. You you did really good job. Look at little those baby's cute. Look at those cheeks. Uh-huh. 
Damn. <laughs> so uh, on that note, thank you everybody for checking out today's episode. Thank you Piedmontese for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, links down in the description below or the podcast show notes, promo code power project to get you 25% off your order and free uh, two day shipping on any orders of $99 or more. <laughs> Please make sure you're following the podcast at Mark Bowles Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on Twitter. My Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse is at I am Andrew Z. And Seema, what you got? And Seema Inyang on Instagram, YouTube, Clubhouse, TikTok, and Seema Inyang on Twitter. Uh, Mark? Today was a big day. We planted a flag uh, in the ground and uh, started a supplement brand called Within You. Thank you guys uh, for everybody that has bought the steak shake by the time you listen to this it will be <laughs> too late gone but today mm-hmm. also is a special day to me because it would have been my brother mike's 50th birthday so wow. props to uh mr mad dog for uh forcing me to lift weights when i was a kid and i didn't want to mm-hmm. and to kind of get this whole entire thing uh started in the first place strength is never a weakness weakness is never a strength catch you guys later bye